Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee Podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. Hi everyone, it's Simon here from Sterling Coaching and welcome to this podcast episode of the Business Success and Coffee podcast. And today I'm joined by Maceo and Maceo is a serial entrepreneur with two decades of building businesses by creating great products and great marketing. With his background in discretionary and I've got to pronounce this algorithmic is that right trading that's right uh, yeah great he's people just love to throw things in like that uh, he's able to merge the risk management of a portfolio trader with the aggressive risk taking of an entrepreneur to time business trends with an uncanny accuracy uh, start up to scale you, know, you scaled your business inside a code from a $25,000 friends and family loan, you've got to trust and be appreciative of those friends and family, haven't you? Uh, to a $245 million valuation in under three years. Wow, with an exit value of $420 million. So we're in great company here, listeners. Uh, Maceo's pioneering vision brought breakthrough new technologies such as developing some of the first cloud-based web applications. And of course, after your exit, you've been responsible for turnarounds. Uh, you've been a confidential CEO, CMO for hire. And uh, yeah, it's this is where you perfected your proprietary non-linear integrated marketing system, which I'm sure we're going to hear a little bit more as we go through this. So welcome to today's podcast. What an amazing bio. Thank you for giving up your time today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Simon. I, I love doing this. And we were talking just before we hit the recording, just to make sure you've got your coffee at hand and you've taken great time to get yourself prepared for today's podcast and get that coffee ready. So tell us a little bit about the coffee that you're drinking uh, and why. Hey, you know, it, I have to admit, I did get coffee specifically for this reason. Um, I do. So I, I limit the amount of coffee I drink. Otherwise, like I'll guzzle down 30 or 40 ounces of this stuff and, and never get to sleep. Yep. Um, but, you know, so I, I've had to cultivate my my coffee taste when I was bodybuilding. You know, we just kind of drank it as a stimulant and, you know, to improve our workouts. So I'm I'm running through all of the Costco big box curing cups. And this is a Newman's own organic medium roast. Okay. And is the medium roast because you just want something that's easy to drink or is it middle of the road or is it just something that suits your particular palate? That's where I am in the aisle. Okay. <laughs> so in, in my Costco, like, that's you know, however they set it, it up. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> however they have it set up in the aisle is how, you know, I, I get it. So I had some Pete's, which is more of a dark roast, yeah. which I do have to say I enjoy more. Um, you know, I actually find this medium to be far more bitter. Uh, but, you know, we brew it. Uh, yeah, I brew it 190 degrees, which is supposedly where, you know, the sweet spot is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do cool it down uh, very quickly as well. Um, yeah. And I've I've tested that too, you know, so I, one where I just kind of let it cool down a little bit normally. 
And then one where I, I shock it a bit. And I do find that um, with the Newman, shocking it with that ice, it does change the, the flavor profile. Oh. Whereas with the Pete's, not so much. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. I've got a client that I meet for coffee and he will always have uh, you know, black Americano and he will always ask them to put a couple of ice cubes in it. And mm. he's never mentioned the change of taste because I think it for him, it's to take the, you know, just the heat out of a coffee. So when he takes that first right. sip, it doesn't, doesn't blister the top of his mouth. Right. I, right. I've got an asbestos <laughs> mouth now, so I'm quite used to drinking black coffee with no milk in it. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting that ice changes the taste. Well, it, that that could just be my funky palate. Um, yeah. You know, I've had I've had some pretty extreme diets over the last I don't know maybe five or, or seven years, and so I consume yeah. very small amounts of artificial flavorings and colorings and and whatnot. So it could be, you know, it could be that I'm just imagining it. But like I said, I'm, I'm testing it, so yeah. I, I'll probably go back to dark roast because yeah. that seemed to you know keep the robust flavor. Uh, you know, that I really enjoy about coffee. So if anybody listening to this works at a Costco, what you need to do is move the dark roast off the bottom <laughs> shelf, put it on the middle shelf, and put it in clean, plain sight in the aisle in Costco. And that's what's going to get you to buy that coffee. That's exactly right. Love it. Love it. So um, is there any other favorite drink that you have during the day you know you i really appreciate that you've taken the time to get this coffee especially for today but is there any favorite drink that you have during the day other than coffee i i do keep it boring but that's more of as i've gotten older you know i've been very careful about you know my mental state and yeah. you know not getting myself so jacked up and making sure that you know at night i can go to sleep but I've got to tell you, a lot of it um, has to do with cutting out a lot of the, the artificial stuff. Yeah. And that, you know, that wasn't necessarily due to any, you know, chemical sensitivities or, or other things. It was more, you know, just by choice. Yeah. Um, and the, the more focused I got on it, the more I realized how pervasive uh, these chemicals are in our, our daily life. Absolutely. Not just the, the sweeteners and the, and the colors, yeah. but also the, the flavor enhancers. I found out uh, a lot of the, uh, you know, even organic and natural products will use flavor enhancers. And a lot of that's because, uh, you know, the different oils and other things that go into to making a product. So, you know, I do, I do enjoy, uh, there's a, uh, it's a matcha tea, uh, that I enjoy very much. Um, and so, you know, green teas as well uh, are very partial to uh, just during the day. But again, they do have a little bit of a stimulant. So I tend to, yeah. I, I you know, go back to our, <laughs> what we were talking about before the boring, you know, H2O. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's interesting what you say there about the artificial flavoring and enhancers, because, you know, my wife's a vegetarian. I, I'm not, but I eat a lot of vegetarian food and she's very particular about looking at the, the artificial uh, you know, additives mm -hmm. in the food. And whilst I've found sometimes the taste isn't quite as perhaps I would like, what it does do, it sort of gives me this nutritional satisfaction more. It doesn't leave mm -hmm. me craving more of it. Yeah, the portion right. sizes can be small because... I, I don't want to eat more. You know, I'm not yep. craving other things. And a lot of the time it's those, it's those additives that increase those cravings for even more quantity or, you know, the dessert or the, you know, the next course, yep. it's those additives that, you know, give that sort of extra appetite that really 
isn't there if you know if you take those out well not not that we have to go down this you know this yeah. conspiracy trail but one of the things that i would encourage all of your listeners to do is to really look into um you know what the additives were designed to do because what what we miss about engineered food is that it is engineered and much like the uh the tobacco industry got taken to task for making their product more addictive the food industry has also made their product well I, I won't go so far as to say addictive because i haven't seen the data there but they've they've enhanced the flavor profile to the point where we get this natural feedback mechanism right so you you grab some potato chips because you're hungry yeah you eat them the potato chips have been engineered to have uh you know this great taste um that great taste uh impacts our dopamine because our dopamine naturally goes up we associate pleasure with the product ergo you want it more yeah. um now it may not necessarily be attached to that brand but it's definitely going to be you know when you when you think oh I, I want a snack and your brain uh you know puts up the choices like in the first terminator movie where he had all the choices for the responses that's kind of how i imagine our brains yeah. you know when it pops up the choices it's going to be you know how much time do i have right yeah. what am i into right now how fast do i need something what i call the grabby grabby stuffy stuffy cycle yeah and you know, look, potato chips, all packaged goods fall into that category, yeah. which you know really does it. It ties into entrepreneurship. As I said, I've gotten older; I've been more focused on it. But it's because I've I've realized that the impact to my performance is far more easily observed. Like I notice it if I eat something that's off, or I'm just grabbing something quick and thinking, ah, oh, you know, I'll do it this once. I might lose a half a day now compared to what I would normally be able to produce. So yeah. there, there's also a practical note in terms of entrepreneurship and, you know, being at your best in the competitive arena. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're, you're really tapping into two things that you'll hear me mention at the outro that, you know, the aim of this podcast is always to make people more aware. And I think oh. you're, you're absolutely right. You know, we have to be more aware of what we're eating, more aware of what we're drinking. And as entrepreneurs and as business owners, we should also have that equal awareness in our businesses with our, our own businesses, with our supply chain, and also with our clients. Mm -hmm. you know, how many of us dig into that diagnosis of our clients and our supply chain? But then it's having that, that education level, isn't it? It's, it's having that level of knowledge that helps you make better decisions. And yeah. everything we've just talked about there is making our own decisions, not allowing other people to have low influence on right. our decisions. So we make the wrong ones. Uh, and not well, necessarily it, catastrophic, but certainly they're leading us down a path that we might not want yes. to go down. Absolutely. Well, so I, I tend to approach things not from a simplistic standpoint, you know, so not from a childlike standpoint, rather from a simple standpoint. Legend has it that uh, Albert Einstein said, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it. Yep. And I, I, okay, I'll, I'll say Albert Einstein said that, but it really does, uh, I think, make sense. And I have found that when I do get to the point where I can explain a massively complex system or, or process simply, it's because I've dug in and understood how everything interacts. Yeah. And so I'll simplify it like this. When it comes to food, if you trust what's in the bag, then you're trusting someone else's choices for everything that goes into the bag. And whether you're a creationist or an evolutionist, you've at least got to recognize that 
the the system that we're in with like food that grows up out of the ground is in some form of harmony with our bodies, right? It's like yeah. it, it's, we've either developed at the same time or, or we were created together. So I'm talking to both camps. The reason why then that that so-called natural food or the, you know, the stuff that grows just out of the ground is more appealing is because it fits. Whereas with something that comes in a bag, you never know, you know, did the company take a shortcut? Uh, did the company put something in because it was just cheaper? They weren't, it wasn't any malice. It's just like, Oh, you know, Hey, we can get it at a lower cost somewhere else. Then you have to think, okay, well, what did that supplier do with it? And, you know, while, the Asian cult- culture is radically different than our Western cultures. Um, one consistency among Chinese suppliers is that they'll cut corners wherever they can. You know, we've seen it with prescription drugs. We even saw it with baby food where they're p- literally like putting wallboard, like gypsum powder in our yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. You know, so again, it's not, it's not that necessarily it was malice and they're just trying to kill us Americans and us Westerners. Rather, I look at it simply. It's like, okay, there's somebody who's trying to make more profit they don't have the same moral ethical framework that we do, right? So I can't fault them necessarily with, you know, I can't bring my morals and ethics into it. But then I, I just have to realize, oh, in that case, then I need to realize that all of those suppliers in that Asian supply chain are more free to make those choices. Whereas if it was a US or, you know, more Western supplier, the, the morals and, and mores that they were brought up with yeah. would tend to make them not make those choices. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, I was thinking as you were talking there, you know, we had quite a scandal here in the UK. I mean, we, you know, we, I know in France, they, they eat horse meat here in the UK. We right. don't, you know, not in yep. human consumption anyway, pets perhaps, but, you know, some of the big brands over here and some of the big stores were using horse meat as fillers for their burgers. What? That's yeah. crazy. And it, it was something like, I forget, but it was, 15 to 20% of the meat. Oh, wow. And it was a in big our, in, piece in of our, it too. In our beef burgers was horse. Uh, and yeah, you know, there was a real outcry. But people trust if it says right. beef burger on the package. It's beef, you right? It's have beef, yes. Well, Why it's like over it? here, they had a similar thing where they were putting what they literally called in the industry pink slime. And it was, <laughs> it was beef parts. It was the awful. It was oh. a certain amount of bone. They would grind it all up, put it through a literal ammonia solution. They would soak it in ammonia to kill all the junk, yeah. fungus, and bacteria that's growing on it. And then they would fill it into beef. Well, so if you look at the regulations, the regulations actually allow for that. And what would shock most people is if they actually went to you know FDA and looked at all of the food guidelines here in the States, you would find that there's an acceptable level for hair for rat feces. I mean, you name it, it's in there. So why, why do they do that? Well, yeah. it's, it's because the, the government has gone to industry and industry, industry says, well, it's going to be too hard if we try and keep it down to 0% or, you know, some kind of fraction like 0.01%. Yeah. Well, you know, again, you've got to ask the question, well, first of all, is that true, right? Is, is the industry really saying that or, or are they really saying, well, we just don't want to cut into our profits, right? So we could right. get into we could get into that discussion, but the where it really starts to apply to uh, you know small entrepreneurs, uh, and I think most businesses that you know would fit into the regular person's version of small business. Sure. Why do I say that? Well, because the U.S. government definition of a small business is actually several hundred million dollars a year. Most people don't realize that. Like when when our president or the Senate or somebody talks about small business, 
It's not, you know, solo entrepreneur selling on Amazon. Yeah. So the, the reason why it's directly applicable is that you run the risk, just like you described, where you're going to make a quote unquote legal choice, but it's so far from what most people would expect that it's just, it's shocking. And that's when you can you know, have a, a huge exodus of business. You can have, yep. you know, a scandal with, with your internal customers. And so this, this leads into, you know, a little bit about like the, the one thing that, that I would want people to take away from it mm. is that the real key to growing and so I'll, and I'll separate growth from scaling in a second, but the yeah. real key to growing is thinking small. It's thinking about a single customer, not a hundred or a thousand. Because when you master that, identifying a customer, you can then go out to the broader market and ask the question, okay, how many more of them are there? Yeah. And you may find that they're so unique that there really aren't that many of them. But the reality is, in most categories that a business is going to be concerned about, there are usually tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands, or even millions. Well, when you do that really simple exercise, you, you can avoid faux pas like putting horse meat into your beef, where it's fine <laughs> in, in France, you know, maybe fine in Thailand, but you know, most Americans and most uh, you know, UKers, uh, I just invented a new phrase there with UKers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it works. You know, yeah, of course. Um, they would be horrified, you know, to find that out. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, simply by going to a person and saying, hey, you know, we were thinking about putting some horse meat filler in there. What do you think about that? Yes. You, know, you could avoid lots of, lots of pain and suffering. Yeah. But even, even down to like small details uh, of the product, uh, you can find huge levers. For example, uh, you know, years ago in the States, we had a, an older woman uh, got a cup of coffee from McDonald's, put it between her legs as she was driving <laughs> off and burned her legs. Yeah. Most people, when I describe it, they, they remember it. Yeah. You know, and she that. sued and she sued and won. She actually lost on the appeal. Nobody talks about that part because it's a much yeah. better story uh, if she doesn't. But um, what McDonald's could have done was by, you know, focusing on a single customer and finding out what happens once they get our product into the car. Right. So why is that important? Well, because McDonald's job doesn't end at the drive-through window. Yeah, totally. In my opinion, that's actually the midway point because now you've delivered the product and then the customer is going to drive off and use the product. Yeah. So when you, when you start to think about some of the real reasons why people frequent one business over the other, it inevitably comes down to the small details. But if you buy into, you know, focus groups and, you know, sort of the, the um, industrialized uh, educational version of marketing and sales and business building, they're so focused on the mass production and, hey, we need, you know, big quantities and big scale that it's built into their thinking that you can't focus on the person. Now, I've just cleverly tied all the way back into like my conversation about the Chinese suppliers and all of that. Yeah. So it's by break the easiest way to break out of that mindset <clears throat> even if you've you've been subjected to what i call the mba indoctrination camp is to forego the group and go down to the single person and understand how what are they doing before they get to your business heck what are they doing before they sit down with their phone or at their computer to start searching what's going on that's actually prompting that person 
to reach out into the world in order to find a solution and then figure out what those, you know, what the steps are, you know, that lead up to the search. Cause there's usually going to be a, a multi-stage there. And they're going to give you so much credit, aren't they? The, the customer or the potential yes. customer for showing understanding of their problems, because that re- that yep. backstory is what makes you stand out. That's the connectivity yep. that doesn't just turn them into a customer. It turns them into a raving fan for life, doesn't it? You know, and I've had experiences yep. like that where I would never go anywhere else because I know they took that time that you're talking about there, which is so important. Just, just a quick question, just to dig a little bit deeper into what you've just said there. And I think, listeners, you've heard some amazing sort of insights there. Some of you listening to this might be franchise owners. Some of you might be thinking of franchising your, your business or replicating your business. Uh, Maceo, for, for people who are looking to do something like that, very often they're, they're led down that multiple customers um, and i always say to a lot of people in that state you know are you doing what you do exceptionally well first before you move on to replicate it but very often the the franchise model that sort of um, license model demands mm-hmm. that they just replicate without that focus on that one customer or focus on that excellence right. What tip would you say to those who are perhaps in that trap that they might be able to use to make a better decision? Well, so I, I would start with simple first. Um, if so, let's say somebody's looking into a franchise, yeah. ask some of these questions. You know, when when you're investigating the opportunity or, or talking to some of the franchise owners, certainly not if you're dealing with a franchise broker. I know here in the states, usually people get into a franchise through an intermediary. Yeah, where the same. You have to know that that person's just a salesperson, right? They, yeah. they are only concerned with the amount of the commission that they're going to get. Yeah. So you want to start with how the company came up with its solution, right? So you want to ask solution oriented questions. You want to find out how much investigating the company did on mm. its customer. And there's an important distinction. I don't mean their process, right? Every, if anybody's seen the movie, I think it was called founder about the Ray Kroc. You know, there's a great piece in the movie about how the the McDonald's brothers figured out their little process, right? How to get the burgers made quickly and efficiently. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the experience of the people that are patronizing the business. Why are they going to go and why are they going to go to McDonald's? Which the the movie actually did deal with that, but very briefly, you know, mostly focused on the system. So do that. Find out what what investigation they did, if they did focus groups, if they will actually share the questions with you even better, Mm. then what you can do is go to some of the prospective customers. So why why would you go through any of this? The question would be, well, Maceo, aren't franchises supposedly, haven't they solved all that? And I would say, no, I mean, not necessarily, at least, you know, maybe it's not a definite no, it's at least not necessarily. And moreover, why would you risk your retirement or you know potentially several hundred thousand dollars on the hopes that they had done it right yeah. so it's at least take the time to investigate and see how much they did then you definitely and, 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 want to sorry, go and, I, th- I think sometimes yeah. just to interrupt there i think sometimes as well yeah, the the time frame from when you're buying the franchise to when the franchise or themselves did this it's so mm. far back 
Yeah. Right. And they've become so disconnected with what they probably did when they ran their own business before they franchised it. That right. you know, we need to make sure that the due diligence is happening at that because it's not necessarily the intent, it's just the time frame, because that's probably shifted quite a bit as well. And I would suggest that you you not only ask all the things that Mercedes just talked about, but find out how current it is as well. Because sometimes yeah, it could be 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, it could be a long time right. ago. Right. Well, or you know, if, if you look at some of the larger brands, right? So obviously someone who's going into a McDonald's franchise, if you can even get one, which in the States yeah. it's practically impossible. But let's say you could, um, you know, really what's behind that is somebody is, is looking at it saying, okay, it's going to cost me a million dollars as a fee. I'm going to have to spend probably another 2 million in terms of real estate and build out. So by the time you're all said and done, you know, let's just round it up to about 4 million bucks. And if you've managed to scrape together, you know, 4 million or more dollars like that, that is such a Herculean task. Most yeah. people have no idea what it really means to like have 4 million in cash that you can spend on something. Most people are willing to do that because they're looking at that spend and then they've got a spreadsheet which says, well, over a certain amount of time, you're going to make back that 4 million bucks and then the rest is going to be profit. Yeah. But the, the driver, right? We have to ask, well, what's going to drive that revenue? Well, it's the McDonald's name. There's so much brand recognition, so much name recognition that if someone's driving down the road, right? Again, you've got kids screaming in the back seat. Dad's stomach is grumbling so loud. You know, mom's stomach is grumbling so loud. Everybody's grumpy because they're hangry yeah. and they see the golden archers. They're going to pull it. That's, if you really put it simply, that's what somebody is risking that four and a half or five, even million dollars on. Maybe it's worth it with the McDonald's franchise. I mean, I haven't looked at their numbers lately, but given some of the quarterly reports I've seen, maybe not. If you, mm -hmm. if you look at the profitability down at the franchisor, now McDonald's, the corporation is doing fine because they're making money on the real estate, right? They get paid no right. matter what. Yep. So the next piece of that would be, if, if you're looking at a franchise specifically, separate the franchise success, right? The parent company from the individual franchisor success. Because very, you'll very find very often that those two are wildly different but in the marketing material, you'll find that it focuses on the parent company, yeah. which is a pretty easy heuristic, right? You can look at the information they're getting you and see what are they focusing on. Yeah. And, and the coaching industry is a typical example of that. You oh, know, right. When I see the, the coaching yes. franchises are out there and the license models, and certainly some here in the UK, compared to the success that they're having to the success yep. of the actual coaches themselves, yeah, you know. Uh, as we say in the UK, a country mile apart, you know, it's just, yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Which by the way, a country mile is a long way. If you've ever had to walk it. It is absolutely. That is from my house to the pub. That's how far it is. So I so, guarantee you that's what started it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned about growth uh, and you used the word scale there. And I know, you know, looking at your bio, some of the sample questions it asks about, you know, how do you get money to grow your business? Um, scaling for many businesses is a scary place to be. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a big fan of Vern Harnish and his book, Rockefeller Habits and Scale Up. Um, if you could give the listeners um, something to take away, those of them that are thinking of scaling, you know, how would you define that and what tip would you give them? So I'll, I'll take a, a page both out of uh, trading and venture capital. 
Um, so scaling is much like a trend. Um, it happens to you. It's not something that you choose to do. And unfortunately, it's become part of the entrepreneurial vernacular, right? It's part of our vocabulary. Um, and so if you're going to go get money, you need to demonstrate to your investors that you understand that there's a difference there. Because if you don't, it's going to terrify them and they're not going to give you any money. Now, now why do I say that? Well, because if you want to grow, that's really about understanding the equation of your business. So, so one of my favorite catchphrases is it's just math. So you figure out how much does it cost me to build my product? What's my acquisition cost? Put those two together. Can I have, do I have a prayer of making money? Yeah. That's a very simple equation. And you can grow a business up to the constraints of your market. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you, when you listen to people from the stage and they're selling you something, what they don't like to talk about is every market has a limit. There are a certain amount of people that are going to be in you know, what's called the early adopters. So they're the bleeding edge early adopters, or they're kind of the main early adopters. They'll buy you know, the iPhone when it first comes out. They'll buy the Tesla yep. Roadster when they're blowing up on the side of the road. Yeah. Then you've got a gap, right? So there's actually a book written that's called Crossing the Chasm that describes that. So jumping from basically, uh, you know, the people that'll try anything to the mainstream is incredibly difficult. Mm. So you can, you can grow and grab those two early groups and have a fairly good sized business. But if you want to scale, you've got to be able to tap into that middle section of what's called the growth curve. And that's where things get really dicey. Um, I've, I've looked at, a. uh, well, I'll, I'll call it a, a cubic butt ton of research in this area. And w whether you're talking about music, movies, business, or the stock market, when you talk about the quote unquote mainstream, no one's been able to have a repeatable algorithm kind of thing that gives them success no matter what. And so it's just way too many variables. And that's what I mean. When you scale, you're hitting that mainstream. You've got thousands or tens of thousands of customers that are simply flocking to you. Easy modern example is Facebook, right? When, once that thing started scaling, everybody was jumping on. Yeah. Now that's so attractive. We all want that, but you've got to realize that that's so rare. Most of the time, it's not going to be your business like ever. Yeah. And that's a hard pill to swallow that, that doesn't sell from the stage, which is why you never hear it if you go to conferences or if, or if you go to the pitch fest, right? Where people are, you know, giving you quote unquote content. Which this, by the way, is why I, I don't fit in in those groups. They hate it because I'm the, I'm the schmuck that gets on the stage and actually yeah. says all of this stuff. Um, but it, it's, it's all people also think that's a downer. Well, listen, you've got to you've got to decide if you really even want a scalable business, right? A scale, with a scalable business, there's no such thing as work life balance. There's no such thing as vacations. There's no such things as time off. If you are tr in, truly in a scaling business you are working as much as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And that's just because of the, the nature of the beast. Yeah. I would actually say, what do you want that for anyway? You don't need to scale to have a business that's going to get you, you know, almost fill in the blank number. Unless you, if you want to be a multi-billionaire, yes, you need a scalable business because that's such a huge amount of money for you personally. You need to have something like that. But most people, yeah. I think, would be content with you know retiring on ten or twenty million dollars in cash, right? Plus other assets, you know. So a a net worth that's approaching maybe eighty million dollars. I think nearly everyone on the planet would be able to live on that. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Here's Check. here's Check the good box. news. It, well, exactly. Here's the good news. Yeah. You don't need a scalable business to do that. You need a business that you can grow. You need to manage your money, but you don't have to scale. You don't need all these tricks and all the stuff that you think you need from Facebook. What you need is the math. How much does it cost you to produce your product? What's your customer acquisition cost? What's that marketing cost? And then how much are you charging? And does how much you charge minus the first two give you a positive number first, right? You have to start yeah, where you're yeah, profitable. Yeah. That's what you want. Then focus on one customer that, that find out if they want to buy your thing, go and look out in the world and see how many of those there are. And then do the math. If, if you go through that exercise and you find that you can produce a product and with a, a profitable product, and there are hundreds of thousands of people that fit into that mold, you can calculate fairly accurately what kind of money you're going to have after a year or two years or three years. Then your job as the entrepreneur is just to see if you're, if you're staying on track. If you're not meeting your numbers, you know exactly where to go back and diagnose. Is it with the person? Did I miss something with my one customer? Did, I, did the supply chain change? Right? Did COVID happen and all of a sudden my costs went through the roof? It's so easy to diagnose that yeah. you don't need these complicated, you know, algorithms. You don't need a knucklehead like me to come in and give you something <laughs> to put on your business. It makes things so very simple. Yeah. And it's it's intriguing how you say that because yeah, you know, my my background is in construction. Yeah, you know, I'm a sort of cost analysis, um, quantitative, we call them here in the UK for construction. So I love numbers. You know, I love the the math that you talk about. But people ignore it so frequently. They're so yes. reluctant. They put it in the hands of somebody else. Um, what do you think gets in the way of that analysis of the math? And then I'm going to ask a, a second part of this question. Why then don't people track it? Because sometimes people get the math, they get the figures, they set the targets, and then they put it in a cabinet and they forget about it. And they go back to it two, three, five years later and say, well, that didn't happen, did it? Why not? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Who knew? Okay, so, <laughs> so I'll start with the last one. Um, there's a, a great online test. Uh, it's called Understand Yourself. And it's a, it's a variation on, uh, uh, of course, I forget the name of it now. It's, but it's a, a well-researched personality test. Uh, it, it'll come to me in a minute. Okay, so why am I saying to start? For a math guy, I'm going to say, oh, why are you telling me to start with psychology? Well, because we need to understand what, what you just said, Simon. Why do, you know, so it would be the question, why did I just do all this work, put it on a shelf, and then not come back to it until it was too late to even use the thing I produced? Well, yeah. if, if your personality lines up with most entrepreneurs, you're probably high in what's called trait openness. Trait openness simply is new stuff. You want to try new yeah. things. You want to experience new things. You, you're, you, you're on the spectrum of social butterfly. Um, yeah, and depending on object. Absolutely. Right. I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm looking at your bookcase. It looks a little bit like mine. So you've got <laughs> yeah. lots of books. Not all of them are finished. Um, yeah. you know, usually you go right until you get this great idea. You slap the book shut, you go do something. Exactly. So if, if you understand that about yourself, you understand that's both a strength and a weakness, right? So your strength over somebody who's more of the conservative business doer is that the business doer is not going to find the next thing. 
they just want to make the donuts and they want the donuts to be made the same way every time. And if you try and change the way they make the donuts, they're going to explode. So you need them both. If you understand that you're super high on trait openness, go find someone that you can hand your work to and they're just, they're going to love just making the donuts. And more importantly, they're going to come back to you and they're going to be like, and, and then if they need to, if things are off track, they're literally going to bang the table. You know, that's a phrase that, that we hear, but I've actually seen it where, uh, you know, you've got the ultra conservative person in the room who's got all their numbers if you ignore them long enough, they will absolutely pound the table with their fist to get you to pay attention. And if you're super high in trait openness, you need somebody that's willing to do that. You need someone who's so committed to your success and the success of the plan that your creative brain cre- made up yeah. that they will stop everything until it's addressed. So that's if you're on, on one extreme. Yeah. So you've got, to, you've got to have that measured in order to be able to access it. And then the math piece is related to that, right? So if you're super high in trait openness, what, inevit- what math inevitably feels like is it's set in stone, right? Because we, we've heard since we were doing two mm. plus two that you know, math is never wrong, which is not. Two plus two is always four. And so if you're, if you're on the extreme of trait openness, being put into a box is anathema to you. You don't want that yeah, you, in any shape or form. So yeah, yeah. if you're if you're that extreme where you just totally ab- avoid math or you you identify, like you say, oh, I'm, I'm horrible at math. First of all, I would say you're not. You've got a brain. Anybody with a brain and 10 fingers can do math. And especially this math, like this is not complicated math. But recognizing if you're on that extreme of trait openness, um, and especially if you're really high in neuroticism, which means you don't trust yourself, you need to get help, right? And I don't mean like psychological help, but you need, and I don't mean a coach. I mean, you need somebody, you know, like a CFO or who says that they're a numbers person, like you just said, you're a quant. Yeah. You have to have somebody in your life that can sit down with you and ask you the right questions, draw that information out, put that into a plan. And they say, okay, this is going to support you. When do you want to check in on it next? Which by the way, you're probably going to say, well, never, or you're going to avoid an answer. Then you need somebody who's going to say, well, I'll tell you what, we'll check in in two months or three months, you know, based on this model, I need to check back with you in three months. So what I just gave people was a a methodology to rein in that person, right? So you, if you're somebody who needs that model, you also need the person to design that model around very specific time-based benchmarks. So it's like, okay, we're going to work for 60 days or 90 days. You really don't want to go more than 120. So 30, 60, 90 days, something where they tell you, you know what, I'll check back with you. Or they'll say, hey, give me access to your analytics. I'll get the information and I'll yeah. check back with you in 30, 60, 90 days. Yeah, and I think back to the businesses I used to have, I, I've always had an in-house sort of an accounts person, a finance person, and yep. one in particular, she was amazing. She she helped me make such great decisions. She held yes. me accountable. She stopped me spending money on shiny right. things. Right. You know, yes. I love numbers. I, mean, I love spending money. I'm a real spender, yeah. so I love the shiny <laughs> things. Uh, and yeah, so, so valuable to have that person in the business. Absolutely. So, and so look, today... 
You can find them on Upwork on, you can even find them on Fiverr for crying out loud. You don't, you don't have to spend a lot of money. You, and even better, you don't need someone that's based in your country. You know, you, as long as you have somebody that's got training in, uh, you know, financial wizardry, right? So they know how to build financial models. They're going to be able to do what you want. You've shared so much, and for the first time ever, you've you've just broken the record because I always write down some some notes that I'm looking for podcast titles on a on a, a large post-it, and you're the first person that's got me to turn over and start writing on the other side. So <laughs> mission accomplished. All right. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> you're welcome. So tell the listeners how they can connect to you. You know, you've I mentioned in your bio you've got this proprietary nonlinear integrated marketing system. You love to give me things to say like that. Uh, tell tell the <laughs> listeners you know, what they can get from you, how they can connect from you, uh, you know, with you. Uh, just just share that with us right now. Yeah, so I've got uh, really just a couple of projects I'm working on now. But if they want to connect with me privately or or you know on, on a personal level, or even if it's consulting, which I don't do, I mean, but I'll help people out. That's maseojordan.com. Uh, there's a forum on there that goes directly to me. You can schedule time on my calendar. Um, one of the projects I'm working on is in healthcare. That's at Connexia.com. Uh, we're bringing hospital quality healthcare uh, into the home. And then I'm working with a, a radical rebel group of, of guys. We're looking to cancel Hollywood. That's over at lore.tv. Okay, amazing. And uh, social media wise, any particular platform that people can just take a, a better look at you and find out a little bit more about you, see your profile perhaps? If the, obviously people can't see me, I'm laughing about that. <laughs> Not really. Uh, when I was doing the confidential CEO CMO thing, I deliberately kept off of social media, okay. um, and so I've I've built in that habit. But I am on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, that's the okay. one that I check uh, frequently. I'm rarely on Facebook. You know, I get in there to to yeah. check analytics mostly. But yeah, LinkedIn. If someone yeah. wants to connect with me, that that's the platform. Yeah, great. Okay, and of course, listeners, take a look at the show notes and and have a look at. Uh, you know, how, how you can best digest more of the great wisdom and uh, the insights that we're seeing today. So thank you for that. So I'm going to, I'm going to come to the, to the final question then, Ms. Owen, and, and you really have, you've, you've given us so much, say two sides of a post-it note. That for me is amazing. Um, if you're going to have your next coffee from Costa Coffee, uh, or sorry, from Costa uh, Retail, we got a Costa Coffee over here, by the way, which is a retail chain. Okay. Where would that dream location be that you would have that next coffee? Yeah, you know, many of us are, are really seeking, you know, a, an aspirational travel location to head off to once you know all these lockdowns end. So, just give us a bit of an insight of where your dream location would be to have that coffee. Outside of the Colosseum. Ah, okay. In Any Italy. Particular reason? Describe it. Describe it for us. Well, so what I'm fascinating, what I'm fascinated about by my college training is in physics, mm-hmm. um, is that when you look at what the ancients were able to do with the tools that they had, mm. it boggles the mind. You know, so t- what I find inspiring about something that's lasted that long is we can't do that, right? So <laughs> yeah. you know, there's something enduring about it. Um, but it, it gives, you know, it gives the brain something concrete to look at both in form and in function. Yeah. And the thing I found amazing when I went to uh, see the Colosseum was the, the planning 
that must have gone into this, mm-hmm. you know, years and years of planning because, you know, they just, they didn't have computer models to be able to put things together. Right. You know, they had to mark stone to stone, you know, stone number three goes against stone number four, you know, mark it accordingly. So uh, yeah, the, the planning of it. So and it's not like they had high paid labor, right? right? Yes, <laughs> These exactly. were not 80,000 a year engineers and whatnot. <laughs> no. I do think the Labour probably didn't have much choice, though, of what they were doing. I think that was That's probably my point. one slight advantage. <laughs> well, there, there actually might be something to that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So time of day, is is, a, is the coffee, is a time of day going to be in the morning, in the evening, midday? Give us a, an idea of the time of day and why. Oh, early. Absolutely. You know, I want to I want to catch that breaking light against the structure, but mostly, uh, you know, because I want that stillness, right? The world has you know, two areas of stillness. One is super early in the morning and then one is, is later on in the evening. But I find that the newness of the day has a certain energy to it for sure. Uh, you know, that sort of the, the unbridled possibility of a new day. Whereas, you know, the end of the day has a little bit of that, you know, tinge of sadness where maybe I didn't get as much done as I wanted. Or, uh, you know, if I read too many headlines and I get a little bit of jealousy, it might have been like, oh, compared to those people, I could have done more. Yeah. So I really love the morning and, and beginnings, obviously, Great. you know, as a, yeah. as one of those trade open entrepreneurs as well, but just, there's something about that time of the day. That's really magical. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that you've used the word magical there. And I think that is, and you know, the end of the day, as you say, is very close to the beginning of the day. If you want that real stillness at the end of the day, it's so close to the beginning of the day, but it does carry an amount of baggage with it. I completely agree. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we, we should discard that. So, yeah, thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Uh, what a great place to go. Indeed. Thank you very much for giving up your time. As always, I, I mention that in every single podcast, I value everybody's time, but you've given us such a wealth of knowledge and insight. I uh, yeah, I, I just can't, uh, can't put into words how much I appreciate what you've given us today. And listeners, you've had so much awareness, so much education, uh, the thing is now, take what we've talked about today and do something with it. Yes. Don't please. sit there, listen to the podcast. Otherwise, you know, what a waste of effort that Maceo's put into here uh, in sharing that with you. Go out, do something with it. Make a difference in your own business, in your own life, and make a difference perhaps in somebody else's business in life. Pass it on. Share some of the tips with somebody else. And there's some real simplicity that you've shared with us Dan. i love the way that you've broken that down i too you know i my construction background means that i have to get everything into simple terms and i think it was robert cialdini talks about in his book sell to the child you know if a if an 11 or 12 year old child can understand what you're saying then that's about where you need to pitch it uh, and you've yeah. done that today so thank you very much for giving us some great tips in such a an easy to understand way. Really do appreciate it. I know we're, I know we're getting long on time. Can I leave yeah. people with one more thing? Yeah, please. Yeah, please do. So, you know, the key to, the key to life is it's fractal, right? So we've been talking about business and growth takes money. Scaling happens to you. And we talk a lot about personal growth. Well, if you look out in the universe, everything that's growing takes energy, it takes energy from its local environment, and a lot of times it takes energy from the broader environment, right? So plants are actually taking energy from the sun. The sun just has so much energy. It's not like the sun's going to go dark. No. Well, if you want to shift from growth, which takes effort, energy, constant focus into scaling, 
you too have to set the things up in order to do that. And so if someone, like you just said, listens to the podcast and then doesn't do anything with it, what you're doing is guaranteeing that you're going to be in a growth state forever. Yeah. And where you need to get, if you want to you know, have the $80 million net worth after retirement, you've got to, at some point, personally enter a scaling part of life where things start to happen, right? So if you want to unlock flow, it's not some mystical state. It's not about dropping ayahuasca or, you know, some combination of food or, you know, this perfect day of exercise, this and that. It's setting yourself up with all of these little tasks and little habits so that you start doing all of those little tasks and little habits automatically. Then because you're freed up from thinking about those things, you'll just find that stuff starts happening to you. And so even, even understanding the difference between this grind, which I, I get why people talk about, and then the scale is simply what you're doing when you're grinding. If you think grinding is just about listening to the podcast, it's not. It's about listening to the podcast, taking one or maybe two things from it, integrating that in your life such that it becomes a habit. So the filter then to apply to podcast is, am I getting information that will lead to a habit that will in turn lead me to flow, which will in turn help me to retire filthy, stinking rich. <laughs> and I wanted to give that you're, you're, just de- you're just determined to make me fill another sheet out on my post-it <laughs> notes, aren't you? You just really are. If, hey, if you tell me I'm breaking a record, I want to shatter it. I want the next person coming up behind me. I mean, you yeah. better do. You better eat your Wheaties, as we say over here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, listeners, it doesn't get any better than this. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. pleasure to have you on the podcast. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in, giving us the time of listening to this and getting right to the end of it and do something with it. And I look forward to having you on the next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.